Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown. As always, I'm your host, Simon. I'm one of my writers, in this case, Danny. Thank you, Danny. Script. Elvis Presley lives the conspiracy theory that will not die. Well, maybe we can finally kill it in this episode, Danny, because it's obviously nonsense, isn't it? Uh, let's just jump in. If you're new here, the forebetters have never read this before. We're going to read it and explore it together, dear audience. Let's go. It wasn't the most dignified way for a man described as the greatest cultural force of the 20th century to go. Wasn't he on the sh**? Wasn't he having a crap or something when he died? (laughs) It's unfortunate. On August the 16th, 1977, Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll, was found slumped on a bathroom floor in his Graceland home in Memphis, Tennessee, after having fallen somewhat ungracefully from the toilet. Elvis the pelvis was pronounced dead shortly afterward at the age of just 42. But considering that he's supposed to be dead, Elvis certainly seems to have been keeping himself surprisingly busy over the last 45 years. It'd also be, wow, it's kind of crazy that Elvis would be 87, right? So even though he died <laughs> 10 years before I was born, theoretically, he could still be alive. In fact, what's the average age people live to, 90? Or is it 80? No, it's 90, isn't it? Or is it 80? I don't know how long people live. Um, but he could, he could definitely still be alive. But he's not. I mean, he wouldn't be because he was also very unhealthy and stuff. But didn't he eat like fried loaves of bread or something crazy like that? Like with peanut butter inside? Some maniac. He's been spotted doing a spot of shopping, attending to the grounds in Graceland, enjoying a trip to Legoland, making surprise cameos in movies, and even attending his own 82nd memorial birthday party. Well, it would be poor etiquette not to bother showing up for that, wouldn't it? Perhaps more dignified, on the same day that he supposedly made his very last difficult visit to the bathroom, it's alleged that a man who bore a startling resemblance to Elvis was seen at Memphis International Airport boarding a flight to the Argentine capital Buenos Aires, a city which was rife with Elvis sightings over the next few years. The name used by the mysterious passenger was John Burroughs, an alias that Elvis was known to have regularly used when checking into hotels. Okay. It's not a bad starting place for a conspiracy theory, is it? It's enough to make suspicious minds uh, wonder if Elvis really did leave the building on that day. If nothing dodgy was going on, why was his corpse strangely sweaty? Why was there so much disagreement over his exact cause of death? And why is his death certificate still sealed until 2027? It is? I mean, why was his corpse strangely sweaty? I mean, it was a really terrible time on the toilet. I'd imagine he's just taking a crap and it's like really, he's like, he's like straining, he's getting all sweaty and then his brain gives a little bit, you know, there's like, he has a stroke or whatever, or a a bleed in his brain and dies. And could it be that Elvis is either still in hiding from the mafia or is quietly replaced by his identical twin brother or took on a new role and identity of singing pastor Bob Joyce from Arkansas? No spoilers. But I can already confirm that at least one of these theories isn't true. I think they're all not true, Danny. It's probably what we're going to find out, isn't it? Promised land. I've only ever seen one Elvis tribute act. And even that was entirely accidental. Well, it wasn't a proper Elvis show. It was more a kind of a talent competition in which anyone was welcome to take to the stage and try and entertain the crowd for a few minutes. I was hoping to get up there myself and perform my acclaimed sock puppet reenactment of the crucifixion of Christ. But I chickened out at the last minute. (laughs) It's like hilarious and disrespectful, Danny. The other guy was braver than me, though. He jumped onto the stage in his white jumpsuit, they always wear the white jumpsuit, and mumbled along to an Elvis song, although the performance largely seemed to consist of him just going, ah ha ha, every few seconds. He did not win the contest. <laughs> I can never do this. I'd be too embarrassed. It's like, however this is, whatever this is, it's always cringe. Thank you very much. <laughs> 
It struck me afterwards that for all I know, I might have just glimpsed the real Elvis. He does seem to get around quite a bit, although I'm not sure he tra his travels would ever extend to the grossy old pub in Rotherham. But it stands to reason that if Elvis was ever considering a post-death career, then working as an Elvis impersonator would probably make perfect sense. He did have a pretty unusual career, even back when he was alive, and maybe it's not quite as consistently successful as some people seem to remember. Now, don't get me wrong, one of the most influential artists of all time who began a rock and roll revolution has probably done more to transform the shape of popular music than anybody else in history. As John Lennon once noted, before Elvis, there was nothing. And once again, John Lennon, you're wrong, because there was lots of music before uh, Elvis. Didn't Elvis famously take, like, what was it? It was called like roll and rocking or rock and roller music before Elvis came along. And I can't really remember, but didn't he just make it popular with white people? Isn't that like Elvis's thing? Like John Lennon, I, I, there was definitely music before Elvis. <laughs> John Lennon, he always seems to be such a and it's not about ancient history. Even today, Elvis still holds an impressive amount of world records, including the most certified gold and platinum albums, the most singles and albums to chart on Billboard, and the most convincing demonstration of a lip curl ever seen. Didn't Taylor Swift just overtake one of Elvis's records? Like, longest time in the charts or something like that. You know what's weird? I don't know if I think I know any of Taylor Swift's music, but Taylor Swift seems like a legend. Like, anything I ever read about Taylor Swift, she's up to something awesome. Like. There was something to do with her records. Everyone's probably like way more familiar on like Taylor Swift lore than I am. But didn't she have some dispute with one of her early record labels? <laughs> so she's just like, fuck you, I'm just gonna go into the studio, record all the songs exactly the same again, and that means they're different and they're mine. And then she releases them herself. <laughs> just like, that is the ultimate middle finger. So yeah, I don't know. Whenever I read something like that, it's always like Taylor Swift's up to some cool shit. Isn't that like the sweetest thing ever? According to the Recording Industry Association of America, Elvis had sold, has sold over 146 million albums, although this only puts him third in the all-time list, behind the Beatles in pole position with 183 million sales, and for reasons that I can't even fathom to begin, Garth Brooks in second place with 157 million. I'm embarrassed to say I don't know who the f Garth Brooks is. Who is Garth Brooks? How has he sold more? Who did we have in third? Elvis? Garth Brooks, American country singer. Oh my God, I can't believe that the third most popular recording artist of all time I'd never heard of. I thought Garth, what's that? Who's Garth? Isn't there some Garth from like a famous movie? I feel like there's some old stoner movie with some dude called Garth. Wayne's World, yes! That's right. That's the only Garth I know. Second place, 157 million. Okay. So that's more than like Michael Jackson, Coldplay, like all of these giant bands and artists. Garth Brooks, who I'd never heard of. It's like people only do things because they get paid. And that's just really sad. Yet in a career that spans 1956 until his fake death in 1977, there were plenty of ups and downs, and arguably there were more downs than ups. 
1956 breakout single Heartbreak Hotel may not have been the very first rock and roll single, but it's widely considered to be the record that introduced and defined the genre to the masses when it first topped the charts. This was followed up by an intense few years of glorious success as both a performer and a prolific movie star, although not everyone was a fan of the rebellious bad boy persona and the suggestive hip swiveling. Legendary US broadcaster Ed Sullivan described the performances of Elvis as unfit for family viewing, whilst the New York Times observed popular music has reached its lowest depths in the grunt and groin antics of one Elvis Presley. <laughs> oh, the New York Times, who are this would be so disappointed by today. <laughs> oh, it's got so much more extreme, but which way did you think the world was heading? Elvis, who rotates his pelvis, gave an exhibition that was vulgar, tinged with the kind of animalism that should be confined to dives and bordellos. These shameless displays of vulgarity were put on hold for a couple of years when Elvis was quite cheerfully drafted into military service in 1958. But after being honorably discharged in 1960, Elvis arguably squandered the next eight years. Under the guidance of his manager, Colonel Tom Parker, he turned his back on live performances and proper albums, focusing instead on appearing in a long list of cheap films for which he also performed the soundtracks. By the time we hit the latter end of the 60s, the king of rock and roll's crown had lost its shine, and he was even beginning to look and feel a little old hat as he lost ground to the new sounds of the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the Beach Boys, and uh, Freddie and the Dreamers. Another one, never heard of Freddie and the Dreamers? Who are you? The Beatles, Rolling Stones, and the Beach Boys are all legendary bands who are somehow outsold by that Garth dude. Elvis finally got his act together again when he staged a remarkable TV comeback performance in 1968, which led to a few more years of wildly successful tours and an extended residency in Las Vegas, although he still wasn't bothering the charts too much. However, the personal life, career, and health of Elvis would slump into serious decline by 1973, and it was a slump from which he would sadly never recover. Those Las Vegas residencies are insane, right? Doesn't like, I feel like Celine Dion did one, Adele does one or did one, and don't they pay like millions of dollars a day? Or something utterly mad like that. And you just gotta go, like, live in Las Vegas for a year, perform, or however long, perform shows, get paid millions, and then you leave. I'm excited, like, when Las Vegas residencies finally come, and it's like, YouTubers, come. Simon, your Las Vegas residency awaits. Tell us all stories, Simon. Come on. Just tell us the same story night after night after night, and we'll pay you millions a day. Very excited about that. That clearly fictional future. Um, Elvis had married Priscilla Bolio, Bo Bolio, Bo Bolu, in 1967, and his only child, Lisa Marie, was born exactly nine months after their wedding day. I feel like Lisa Marie Presley recently died. Is that true? It was actually Elvis's big comeback in 1968, which ended up putting a strain on the initially happy marriage, as his renewed commitment to touring meant that he was usually away from home. Whilst he was playing away, it was alleged that he embarked on a string of affairs, which eventually led to divorce in 1973. Elvis had also clearly let himself go, a situation not helped by his obsession with fried peanut butter sandwiches and biscuits and gravy. That was it. Oh, that does sound good. Like, I'll definitely try a fried peanut butter sandwich. That sounds pretty tasty. He reportedly once spent around $16,000 taking his private jets on overnight trips to Denver just because he had a craving for a particular sandwich, a fool's gold loaf that could only be bought in the, at the Colorado Mine Company. And $16,000 is in like 1970s money and today's money that's a lot more it's got to be like a hundred grand easy on top of that it also become addic addicted to a long list of painkillers being prescribed to him by dr george nicopolis 
and once spent three days in a coma after overdosing on barbiturates. Can you imagine coming out of that coma and being like, probably lay off that Valium, shouldn't I? <laughs> Isn't that what happened to What's-His-Face? Didn't Jordan Peterson have like some sort of coma or because he was addicted to... Was it barbiturates? His, his, his life is wild, dude. <laughs> he's, he's just wild-ass life. Whilst grappling the other serious health issues, Elvis still continued to perform, but the... And wasn't it in Russia? Oh my god, I've got to look that up. I vaguely heard this, like bits and pieces. The gyrating hips and swing moves of the 1950s have been replaced by the sad sight of a bloated man in a jumpsuit who was drugged up to the eyeballs as he struggled to remember the words that propelled him to stardom whilst desperately trying to reach the end of each set without keeling over. And yet he kept limping on and on. All shook up. On the very same day that he died, Elvis had been due to embark on yet another soul-crushing tour. The previous evening, he had popped out for a drive through Memphis before returning to Graceland to spend the whole night playing racquetball. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're eating your fried peanut butter sandwiches. You're very out of shape. And you're just like, yeah, I play racquetball all night. Elvis was finding it difficult to find real friends at this point, and even his opponents on the racquetball court wasn't a buddy as such. Elvis was generously paying the guy to play racquetball with him all night long. Not a bad line of work, really. I don't know. That sounds pretty bad. Like, just having to play racquetball all night? Ugh, I don't know. This doesn't sound that great. The following day, Elvis had been due to take a flight to Portland for the first leg of his latest tour, but the audience were destined to be disappointed. Well, they would have been disappointed even if it had shown up. But the news that came out of Graceland that day sent shockwaves throughout the world. Elvis had been dating Ginger Eldon for around a year, and the couple were now engaged to be wed, although other members of Elvis's family didn't seem convinced that Ginger planned to go through with it. It was Ginger who found Elvis, unofficially dead, in the second floor bathroom at around 2pm, lying face down on the floor in a completely unresponsive state with his pajama bottoms around his ankles. Oh, it's not the way you want to go, is it? I'd have just tidied him up and be like, no, he died in his sleep. One of the Graceland cooks had apparently heard a loud noise coming from upstairs about four hours earlier, but didn't believe it to be anything of great concern, so Elvis had presumably been lying there for quite some time. Fiancé Ginger Alden later recalled in her 2014 memoir, quote, I stood paralyzed. As I took in the scene, Elvis looked as if his entire body had been completely frozen in a seated position while using the commode and then had fallen forward in that fixed position directly in front of it. Mm. Oh, it's not good. It's not good, is it? It was believed that a severely constipated Elvis had had a bad reaction to codeine and had suffered from excruciating pain while attempting to use the toilet before stiffly falling face down on the floor. Yeah, codeine is um, a class of drugs called opiates which are famous for making you can't not be able to take a right but there was controversy and suspicion almost from the very beginning i'm not talking about the mysterious black helicopter that supposedly landed at graceland and then took off again shortly before the supposed body of elvis was taken to the hospital and i'm not talking about the guy who later checked into memphis international airport to board a flight to buenos aires i'm talking about the quite legitimate reasons why some fans were being lied to over the cause of death Memphis medical examiner Jerry Francisco appeared to be in quite a hurry to make a public announcement which would reassure fans that the cause of death was perfectly natural and that no drugs were involved whatsoever. Yeah, but everyone knows he's on loads of drugs. About, right? Isn't the, didn't we already well establish that? Just one day after Elvis died, Francisco issued a statement to the press which revealed that his tentative ruling for the immediate cause of death was cardiac arrhythmia. He went on to stress that any prescription drugs taken by Elvis would certainly not have been a contributing factor. 
he's like just covering for his mate allegedly my opinion shortly afterwards jerry francisco's medical examiner report went into a little more detail concluding that presley had the clogged arteries of an 80 year old man and that he died from hypertensive heart disease associated with atherosclerotic heart disease yeah yeah i mean look dude if you're eating like fried peanut butter sandwiches i mean come on that's kind of where you expect to go like, that's how it's going to be. It seems a little odd that Francisco had been in such a panicked hurry to quash any speculation over how exactly Elvis had died, whilst reassuring everyone that the king hadn't been involved in any dodgy activity. It was also a little odd that he announced his initial findings long before either an autopsy or a toxicology analysis had been completed. Indeed, when the toxicology report was eventually released, it didn't entirely fit in with Francisco's findings, as it showed that the body of Elvis was pumped full of prescription drugs, including a level of codeine that was over 10 times times the usual prescribed range holy sh he is either a tolerance or was mega high mega high francisco's reputation as a medical professional was placed in doubt when it was reported that even his own colleagues didn't agree with his conclusions you can't blame them really not only had he jumped the gun with a tentative ruling but it also turns out that cardiac arrhythmia is a condition which can only be identified in a patient who's still alive Francisco, did you go to medical school? <laughs> What's going on? Yet Francisco angrily doubled down on his claims. Bro, if it is medical fact that an arrhythmia cannot be, uh, can only be diagnosed while the, per while the person is still alive, why would you be writing that down? And then why would you double down on that? And he insisted that Elvis had died from natural causes. That sounds natural. A cardiac arrhythmia, doesn't that sound like, I mean, if he died from like eating and clogged arteries, that is a natural death. Oh, wait, that's what he's saying happens. And everyone else is like, it's drugs. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My brain is too slow. I, I will. I, <laughs> I don't know why I came to that. Ah, just before we continue with today's episode, let me tell you about our wonderful sponsor today. And that, of course, is Factor. Factor make delicious, ready-to-eat meals that make eating better every day easy. Like, you might say, oh, I've got to eat better, but I'm also really busy. Well, Factor is the solution to that. Don't get that takeaway. That's not good for you. Don't cook some elaborate healthy meal. That's not, you don't have enough time for that. The right place in the middle is Factor. You'll have 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto options, calorie smart options, vegan and veggie, and a whole lot more. And there's even more to enjoy, with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons to help you make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. So what are you waiting for? Definitely get started with Factor and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. There's two-minute meals, fuel up fast, with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat wherever you are. There's snacks, there's smoothies, there's more. Plus, you can sign up and save. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. It is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, upscale options done easily. Plus, it's flexible to your schedule. You can choose between 6 and 18 meals a week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. No prep, no mess. Factor Meals are 100% ready to eat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or even cleanup needed. Head to factormeals.com slash decoding50 and use the code decoding50 to get 50% off. That's code decoding50 at factormeals.com slash decoding50 to get 50% off. And now back to today's episode. I pointed out that the only drugs found in Presley's system were perfectly legal drugs prescribed by his personal physician, Dr. George Nicopolis. Not everyone was happy with this controversial and slightly dubious handling, and of course this naturally fueled theories that Jerry Francisco and perhaps even higher authorities were trying to cover something up. The family of Elvis certainly seemed keen to get a second opinion when they later requested a private autopsy. And this is where many reports into the whole Elvis Live story start to get a bit confused over all the official documentation. 
quite a few sources will confidently tell you that the official death certificate was released shortly after the king's passing, and this backed up Francisco's not wholly convincing claim that Elvis died from heart disease and that drugs had nothing to do with it. Other sources will tell you that the results of the second autopsy requested by the Presley family are sealed until 2027, and this is the document that will finally reveal the whole truth when it's released in just a few years. But these claims are just the result of jumbled-up paperwork. The only document to have been released to date is the aforementioned medical examiner's report from Jerry Francisco. It's the official death certificate, which remains sealed until the year 2027. And that sounds a bit fishy, right? There have apparently been numerous attempts over the last years to get this certificate released to the public, but all have failed. So what are they trying to hide? Well, in fact, this is just how they roll in Tennessee. Ever since 1908, all new death certificates are kept by the Tennessee Office of Vital Records and are considered by state law to be strictly confidential until 50 years have passed, at which point they're made public. Okay, so it sounds like... Surely this sort of conspiracy just immediately dies whenever you're presented with a fact like that. Why are they hiding Elvis's death certificate? Because they hide everyone's death certificate because it's the law until 50 years later. Surely that just crushes that element of a conspiracy theory. But I know people will have something to be like, yeah, 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 however. And it's like, but the however is never that convincing. And it's just like, we'll find out in however many years that it is boring. I promise you. In 20, what's the year now? 2024? In three years? We're just going to find out the same thing. And it's just not that interesting. That's it. That's really it. So this will indeed be released in around four years, which is when we'll get to see if the original coroner agreed with Jerry Francisco or thought he was talking out of his ass. My prediction, he doesn't agree, had something to do with drugs. As for the, in my opinion, that's my thoughts. As for the results from the private autopsy requested by the Presley family, this is obviously not sealed, as it's a private document which belongs to the family, is unlikely to ever see the light of day, unless a future Presley decides to make a few bucks from it. So, without these two last bits of documentation, are we any closer to finding out the exact cause of death? Well, it's safe to say that Elvis hadn't been partaking in anything illegal. During his lifetime, he was pretty vocal about his contempt for illegal substances. And no illegal drugs, or even alcohol for that matter, showed up in the toxicology analysis. Yeah, you don't need illegal drugs where you've got like what, 10 times the prescribed amount of codeine in your system. Uh, it's kind of hypocritical, isn't it? On a daily basis, I consume enough drugs to sedate Manhattan, Long Island, and Queens. It's more a question of whether heart failure was the cause of death, or heart failure was perhaps a symptom of binging on overprescribed medication. In 1994, the coroner, Dr. Joseph Davis, took another look into the original investigation and concluded that he pretty much agreed with Jerry Francisco that heart failure was the root cause. He reckons, quote, The position of Elvis Presley's body was such that he was about to sit down on the commode when the seizure occurred. He pitched forward onto the carpet, his rear in the air, and was dead by the time he hit the floor. If it had been a drug overdose, he would have slipped into an increasing state of slumber, he would have pulled up his pajama bottoms and crawled to the door to seek help. It takes hours to die from drugs. Everything points to a sudden, violent heart attack. But other medical professionals disagree, and it has long been suggested that Elvis died from the serious abuse of legal drugs which Dr. George Nicopolis was effectively providing by the truckload. Dr. George Nicopolis, commonly known as Dr. Nick, well, that's easier, really <laughs> i guess this was before the simpsons had a preference for celebrity patients counting elvis jerry lee lewis and several other big names amongst his client list he first started treating elvis for saddle sores in 1967 before taking on the role of personal physician to the king in 1970. the pair apparently became good friends and dr nick later served as one of the pallbearers at his funeral but was it a friendship based entirely on the overinflated size of dr nick's prescriptions and did these prescriptions play a part in Elvis ending up in the very coffin that Dr. Nick was helping to carry? Maybe. Maybe! 
Alarm bells began ringing when an investigation later revealed that during the last couple of years of Presley's life, Dr. Nick had prescribed him over 19,000 pills and vials, including strong painkillers, uppers, downers, and in-betweeners. You have to wonder how Elvis found the time to net quite so many pills every day. And whilst it can be tricky at the best of times to remember to pack all your medications for trips away, imagine what it must have been like for Elvis when he was away on tour. Not to worry though, Dr. Nick apparently took care of all of that, packing him up with no less than three large suitcases of drugs for every trip. Although he argued this was intended for the whole of the touring crew, who were presumably just as wired as Elvis. That's f***ed up, dude. You're a doctor prescribing that many drugs for someone. Just be like, should I be doing this? Does this seem right? <laughs> and they knew about the drugs. What did they say? They get you off them? Said they give me more. This obviously led to concern and downright anger from some Elvis fans who blamed Dr. Nick for the death of their hero, arguing that there was no justification for prescribing quite so many pills. It's perhaps no coincidence in 1979, Dr. Nick was shot in the chest while watching a football game. He survived to tell the tale, and the attacker was never caught, but it's often been suggested that the culprit was a disgruntled Elvis fan. Holy f I mean, yes. I mean, maybe you're of the opinion that he gave him too many drugs, but also... You know, there's some responsibility for your man there, taking those drugs. You know? Don't shoot someone. Dr. Nick had more than one lone gunman to deal with in 1980, when he was finally put on trial, charged with 14 counts of prescribing drugs to patients, including Elvis and Jerry Lee Lewis. Dr. Nick's defense was that he always served the best interests of Elvis to try and control his addiction to medication. He feared that if he ever turned down a request from Elvis, the star may have been tempted to source his pills from the streets instead. This seems a tad unlikely, considering Elvis had such a strong aversion to illegal street drugs. Yeah, but when you're coming down from, like, uh, codeine or whatever, you're gonna get pretty desperate. Your moral convictions about street drugs are gonna be like, yo, yo, yo. And he's Elvis Presley. He'll just be like, yo, go find me some drugs. If Dr. Nick leaves, he'll just be like, yo, assistant, find me some drugs. <laughs> he'll be like, yes, sir, Mr. Presley. <laughs> And I can't help feeling that if Dr. Nick was trying to sensibly control the addiction, then prescribing over 19,000 drugs within two years was a strange way of going about it. However, quite incredibly, he was acquitted of all charges when the jury agreed that he was always serving the best interests of his patients. Okay then, I guess 19,000 pills was in Presley's best interests. Might not have been the but I wasn't, I wasn't there on the jury, I wasn't there in the trial. Fine, 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 fine. Okay, we'll let it go. That very same year, though, the Tennessee Board of Medical Examiners took a slightly different view when they concluded that whilst Dr. Nick had not been behaving in an unethical manner, he had been guilty of overprescribing controlled substances. The decision was taken to suspend Dr. Nick's medical license for three months and to place him on probation for three years. But Dr. Nick still couldn't curb his overwhelming generosity. He was like the medically trained brother of Santa Claus. He was again hauled up before the Tennessee Board of Medical Examiners in 1992, now accused of overprescribing medication to known addicts, which amounted to gross malpractice and unethical conduct. This time, he had his license permanently revoked. Dude, getting your medical license revoked is like, that's, that, what do you do after that? Because you've spent like seven years, six years in medical school, then however many decades becoming like a doctor, and then they're like, if you get that stripped away, do you just go to Mexico and become like a mob doctor or something? <laughs> like, what do you do? Because you've got all these skills, but you've just, you know, done something terribly bad. Dr. Nick later whimpered that his only problem was that he cared too much. With relation to Elvis in particular, he gave an interview to the Daily Beast in 2009, seven years before his own death, in which he complained, No one understands that Elvis was so complicated. I worked so hard just to keep things together, and then they turned the tables on me after he died and decided I was to blame. 
I don't think we'll ever reach a universal agreement on whether any blame should be thrown in Dr. Nick's direction. I think some amount should be. Do I think he's primarily to blame? Absolutely not. Do I think he is somewhat? Yeah. Yeah, okay. It's true that Jerry Francisco's mad rush to make a statement on the cause of death now seems like a deliberate attempt to close down any speculation or controversy relating to drugs, and it's possible that he may have been acting on behalf of the family who were keen to preserve the reputation of Elvis and hide any association with drug addiction, legal or otherwise. But ironically, it was probably the shifty and unconvincing nature of these early arguments that ignited a great deal of immediate speculation of a cover-up. Let's face it, Elvis was not in the healthiest shape in 1977 anyway, and it was only a matter of time before all those fried peanut butter sandwiches began to bite back. Whilst he was already suffering from a long list of ailments, which may have been leading him to inevitable early grave, you can't help wondering if popping 19,000 pills throughout the couple of year, last couple of years of his life, given to him on tap by a doctor who was later banned for gross malpractice, might just have given Elvis a fast track to the cemetery. Yet, like I say, I think it definitely played a role, if not the primary role. Return to Sender The very next day, Elvis died. His father Vernon agreed to allow mourners to pay their respects by filing past the open casket in Graceland. Well, a tiny percentage of mourners anyway. The open casket was only on view for a couple of hours, and it's reported that as many as 75,000 fans descended on Memphis to get a glimpse of the body in the casket, which turned out to be a problem as only 16,000 of them were able to get a bed for the night before every single hotel in the city was fully booked, and the majority of them would be in for a disappointment anyway. Only a few thousand mourners were able to file past the casket before the time slot expired and the Graceland doors were shut to the public. Well, that's 4,000 people, or however many it was, a few thousand, sorry, who saw his dead body. So I don't think he's alive, no. Was it an open casket? Did they say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Glimpse his body. America's weird with the open caskets. <laughs> uh, it's a cultural thing that did not cross the pond. One guy who probably didn't need to join the queue to get a view of the open casket was Elvis Presley's cousin, Billy Mann. But he abused his privilege by accepting an $18,000 bribe from National Enquirer magazine to take a sneaky photograph of the body with a miniature camera. That's around $90,000 in today's money. Holy sh**. That's a lot of money for a little photo, isn't it? The subsequent photograph was plastered on the cover of the next edition of the magazine, which went on to become the biggest selling issue in history, shifting over uh, 6.5 million copies. It's not clear why Billy Mann would have stooped so low, although he may just have been strapped for cash and feeling a bit pissed off that he didn't get a name check in the will. Not many people did, to be fair. Not even his fiancée, Ginger Alden. Yeah, I got no problem with that. I mean, it's not a bribe. It's a payment. Like... Why is it? Why would you say it's a bribe? Eighteen thousand dollar bribe to take the photo? It's just like, yo, can you sneak in? You're in there, right? Take a picture. And he'd be like, yeah, I'm kind of broke. Elvis was rich, but he didn't leave me any money. I could use like ninety thousand dollars in today's money. F- yeah, let's go. Only three people were named in the will. They were his daughter Lisa Marie, father Vernon, and Elvis's beloved grandmother Minnie Mae. Within the space of just a couple of years, the latter two would pass away, leaving the entire estate in the hands of eleven-year-old Lisa Marie. But. Was it a bit harsh that Elvis's fiance didn't get a cut? Vernon had his doubts that she ever really intended to marry his son, as he sniffily pointed out to the press, Ginger has already gotten her share of gifts from Elvis. Meanwhile, Vernon's brother, known to Elvis as Uncle Vesta, had a little more to say on the matter when he revealed that Ginger had been banned from entering Graceland. He said she couldn't get in here on her own to save her life. She can go to the grave by calling and asking. Anytime she comes to the gate, I've got to call Vernon and okay it. He later gave the pretty harsh assessment, we're not interested in her. She took advantage of Elvis's name. Ginger Alden is dead now, as far as the family is concerned. 
we don't even recognize her as a human being. Oh my god, she, <laughs> you guys really don't like her. It's not entirely clear where this hatred stemmed from, other than a suspicion that Ginger was leading Elvis up the garden path and was more interested in using him as an extended shopping voucher rather than giving any serious consideration to marriage, although Ginger claims that she and Elvis were still enthusiastically planning their wedding right up until the day he died. Still, although there's no evidence to prove it, it's generally believed that Ginger Olden was at least allowed to attend the private funeral, along with around 200 other people. I was actually quite surprised to discover that the funeral was held just two days after the death of Elvis, which seems like a pretty fast turnaround to me. Here in the UK, you're usually facing a wait of anywhere between two to four weeks to make it to the crematorium. Yeah, but he's also Elvis. It's like, surely in the UK, if you're like willing to pay, Maybe this is one of those things where it's like, doesn't matter. You know, there's some things where you're like, wait, isn't money going to fix this problem? And there's some things where it's just like, nah, nah, unfortunately, it doesn't matter how much you pay. It's just, you're still waiting. I'm trying to think of a good example of that. But it sometimes happens in my life. And I'm like, wait, what's the point of having money if this doesn't make it this bit easier? And it's like, no. <laughs> You'd think that they'd try and hurry the process up a little bit, especially when the funeral directors are getting paid thousands and thousands of pounds to essentially just set something on fire. I mean, it's a bit more complicated than that, isn't it? I've been to a few funerals in the last few years, and it's like, you know, there's stuff behind it. You gotta be in like a nice room. There's some dude who's like, blah, 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 <laughs> stuff like this. You know, that, that happens. I think maybe I could just set up Simon's Discount Crematorium. We just have like a giant bonfire and it's just like constantly going. And you just come round, you throw your loved ones on there, you say a few words and then you bugger off and just, I don't know, 100 quid. <laughs> Easy. But even though there was clearly no mucking about in burying Elvis, there was still enough time within those two days for fresh rumors to emerge regarding the body. It's true enough that the face of Elvis does seem surprisingly thin on that famous $18,000 photograph snapped by his cousin. Oh right, yeah, the guy who got paid. I was like, wait, that sounds like $90,000 or whatever. In fact, he looks more like the young Elvis from his 50s heyday than the heavily bloated Elvis seen in the last photographs taken of him alive in 1977. Well, isn't that like one of the reasons it takes a while? Although this only took two days. Isn't there someone down in the thing? I've seen like six feet under. It's like American funeral directors. It's like there's an open casket funeral, so there's someone in there like prettying up the body. You know, in that show, it's like, oh, he's got horrible facial disfigurement, but they're like, gonna work my magic on that. This could potentially be down to the sterling work carried out by The Undertaker on smartening up the body before making it presentable to the public. Exactly. While some of the fluid buildup may have naturally drained from the body during the embalming procedure, it's also possible that the National Enquirer's retouch artist Robert Stevens may have gotten a little carried away in his efforts to make Elvis look good in the death photograph. Some of the people who caught a glimpse of Elvis in the open casket have suggested that the face looks significantly different to the one slapped on the cover of the National Enquirer. But for other mourners who filed, did they really put a photo of his dead body on the front of a magazine if i put a photo of a dead body on a youtube thumbnail that video would be removed so fast but other mourners who fall past the casket have suggested that they saw something that didn't seem quite right elvis was sweating although it looked a bit sweaty during those final years you would think so. like someone who looks sweaty it's like i don't know i feel like that's one of the things if i if you see someone who's just like constantly a bit sweaty you know death be coming for you <laughs> you know it's just like if you're just sweating even though you shouldn't be that's not healthy that's that can't like, i don't know anything about medicine there's someone who's just sweaty for no reason <laughs> it's like uh oh 
You'd expected Elvis to calm down a bit with the excessive perspiration by the time his body was put in the casket. I wasn't exactly sure where this sweaty corpse theory was heading. Was it being suggested that Elvis was still alive when he was posing in the casket and he had started to feel the heat? And did this explain why the casket was only on show for a couple of hours as this was deemed the maximum length of time that Elvis could lie motionless before he got a craving for another fried peanut butter sandwich? Of course not. That would clearly be preposterous. Wait, is this <laughs> some people that are really gonna believe this, aren't they? It doesn't sound that outrageous, like someone faking their own death. Just like sit perfectly still in a casket for like two hours. Just to convince people. And then they put the lid down and they shuffle you away behind a curtain or whatever, and then you're like, hop, out I get, and onto a plane to Ecuador or wherever. The conspiracy theorists have instead suggested that the answer can be found in the coffin that was being carried during the funeral the following day. It was observed that the pallbearers, including of course Dr. Nick, were visibly struggling with the weight of the copper coffin, which some have estimated was in the region of 900 pounds. Isn't that like 500 kilos? That's a big old coffin and Elvis is a big old boy. We know that Elvis put on a bit of weight during his final years, but surely he hadn't put on that much, so why was the coffin so heavy? Well, it's obvious, really. The coffin contains an elaborate dry ice cooling system, which was designed to stop the waxwork dummy of Elvis from melting. Yes, the supposed corpse was actually just a wax model, and the sh had very nearly hit the fan on the previous day when the dummy had started melting in the open casket, giving the impression that Elvis was sweating. Well, if that was the case, why not just do the funeral in an air-conditioned room and just turn the air conditioning down? It's not that complicated. It's only got to be there for two hours, and then just shut the thing and boom no one is it just that's it it's just a waxy thing in there done you'd just have air conditioning wouldn't you to avoid that happening again on the day of the funeral the coffin had been knitted at kitted out with a swishy soundproof cooling system which would help mop the waxwork dummy's brow we've only really got the words of a few supposed unnamed witnesses to go on here and i would bet my last jar of pickled onions that nobody actually saw a corpse sweating in the open casket and it, it could also just be that he was a bit shiny i don't know like the, the funeral directors they touched him up with some makeup or whatever and that they didn't do a perfect job and he's just a little bit shiny you know that's okay. People can be a bit shiny <laughs> if they're close to death. As for the super heavy coffin on the day of the funeral, it was probably a fair bit heavier than most as it was made from solid copper rather than sheet copper and it would have been a fairly hefty thing to try and lift when it was completely empty. Why? Why copper? Like, why not just wood or whatever? Like, copper? Isn't that like a material that's actually useful and quite expensive? Like, I understand, like, I don't know, do it in silver or whatever. Because it's like, yeah, it's pretty expensive, but it's also, like, not... I don't know. Maybe there's many uses for silver that I just don't know. But copper is, like, used in wires and everything. It's an excellent conductor, right? And it's quite expensive. I think I've told this story before. Someone stole the, like, copper... Um, no, I was having a house. I bought a house and it was being renovated. <laughs> Someone came round when we weren't living there and nicked the bloody copper. Um, oh, what's it called? Like a window ledge, but outside. Like windowsill, but outside. You know, where sometimes they're lined with copper. And someone came by and nicked those and stuff. For God's sake, how much are these? Just because the gate was unlocked. One of the pallbearers, another of Elvis's cousins, Billy Smith, later joked that it weighed a ton and it was lined with gold in a bid to outdo the coffin of King Tutankhamun before admitting that it wasn't really that heavy at all. And 
Paul bearing in mind, ah, he was one of the people carrying it, I trust his word over someone who was watching from afar and thinking about waxwork dummies. Yet all this stuff about sweating corpses and waxwork dummies, along with the genuinely bewildering press statements made by medical examiners who hadn't yet had time to medically examine anything, helped to plant the initial seeds of doubt into the minds of devoted fans who were beginning to suspect that Elvis wasn't quite as dead as he claimed to be. But what possible reason could he have to fake his own death in the first place? Okay, well, I guess we're going to get into that, aren't we? Clean up your own backyard. It's been suggested that Elvis had grown very weary of the fame and the burden of being one of the most famous men on the planet. He wanted to put an end to the grueling tour schedule. He wanted to get away from the bothersome fans and the management and everybody else who was desperate to get a piece of Elvis. Um, so you can do that. Just disappear from the public eye. Just buy a house somewhere, like get some guards, don't let anyone come up. I mean, either way, like you're mega famous. So even if you go somewhere else, they're still gonna be like, oh, Elvis, look. Faking your death's not really gonna help that situation, is it? Faking your own death seems like an extreme method of just trying to get a bit, a bit of peace and quiet, though. He could have just retired, locked the Grayson gates, taken the phone off the hook, and upped the hours of the guy who came round to play racquetball. Exactly! A far more popular theory is that Elvis was in league with the FBI, who helped him to fake his own death in order to avoid any retribution after selling out to the mob. Okie dokie, here we go. <laughs> It's a theory that gathered steam after the publication of a 1988 book by Gail Brewer Giorgio, which went under the original title of the most incredible Elvis story ever told, before it was simply renamed as the snappier Elvis Alive. There's a question mark on there, that's why I read it like that. Um, I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> um, whenever there's a book like this involved, as everyone well knows, who's a regular listener to Decoding the Unknown, he's always like, it's about the money. It's money, money, money. Titling a book, Elvis Alive, is like, that's a money spinner. You're just right. If I, <laughs> it's just about the money. Great story. Compelling and rich. In the book, Kale claims that she poured over thousands of pages of classified FBI documents, which revealed that Elvis had connections with a criminal gang known as the Fraternity. Elvis said, <laughs> the Fraternity. If I was writing a book about the mob like a fictional mob i'd call them the fraternity it's like come on now you could have been a bit more original elvis had hooked up first hooked up with the fraternity to help him secure a good deal on an airplane but he soon had second thoughts about mixing with criminals and eventually offered to help the fbi bring down the gang um he's elvis presley he doesn't need to go get a discount on an airplane and even if you are let's say you are buying an airplane off criminals i'd just be like what I don't know anything. I'm just buying the airplane. And you're buying, you're not buying an airplane like you do a used car. You're going to get it from like a broker or something. And you'll just be like, mm, not really interested in where it comes from. I'm just interested in this plane. And the fact that it's a little bit cheaper, fantastic. It's not like the mob, you're then going to have mob connections. It's just like you bought something off of a criminal. No big deal. Like, it's not, you're not now mob affiliated. After the key members of the fraternity were subsequently arrested, it became blindingly obvious that Elvis had been the mole, and he was now at risk of facing the fiery vengeance of the mob. What did he know? He bought a plane! It's not like... <laughs> oh yeah. And there were suitcases filled with mob secrets on the plane that Elvis then gave to the FBI. No! Obviously not! 
The FBI figured that the only way to guarantee the safety of Elvis was to fake his death, after which the fraternity would presumably lose all interest and start thinking about opening up another casino or something. Gail Brewer Giorgio reckons that Elvis felt compelled to sell out the gangsters because of his deep love of America and his deep respect for the FBI. And she's still sticking to her story today, recently informing Time magazine that Elvis faked his death because he was going to be killed and there was no doubt about it. Time magazine, what are you doing? <laughs> I hope this piece was entitled Crazy Conspiracy Theories That People Believe or something, Time magazine. Because, really? It's perhaps not so outlandish to think that Elvis may have worked undercover for the FBI at some point. Okay then, yeah, I mean, that's way less ridiculous. According to some sources, Elvis was either an honorary member of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs, or he was a fully-fledged secret agent working for the FBI. And while I initially scoffed at such a notion, it turns out there's at least a grain of truth to the first claim. In 1970, Elvis wrote a meandering letter to President Richard Nixon in the hope of setting up a meeting. Throughout the letter, Elvis expressed his concern over illegal drug abuse on the streets, useless hippies, communist brainwashing techniques, and even the success of the Beatles, whom he accused of fueling a new trend of anti-americanism <laughs> chill elvis it's like you don't you don't like a little competition from over the pond do you elvis come on now paul mccartney was actually a little pissed off when he heard about that the band had previously enjoyed a friendly relationship with elvis who had regularly performed these anti-american Beatles songs during his own live shows mccartney revealed i feel a bit betrayed the great joke was that we were taking illegal drugs and look to him paul mccartney's still alive who are the two Beatles who are dead the one who got shot john lennon George Harrison, and then Ringo Starr and Paul McCartney still alive, as of the recording. That's a fair point, Paul. Although it might not have been the real Paul McCartney who said those words, it was more likely his lookalike imposter Billy Shears. But that's a whole other kettle of, kettle of walruses. Yeah, we covered the whole Paul McCartney being replaced by a body double thing. It was just as ridiculous as this. Elvis was now offering his services to the president as a federal agent at large who would be able to send a positive message to his legion of fans and wipe out the drug culture that was sweeping the United States of America. I always thought, like, secret agent and celebrity don't go hand in hand. And then I remember I, I made a video about, like, how spying works. And it was like, oh, no, like, celebrities are actually pretty good spies because no one thinks they're going to be a spy, even though they're, like, super famous and stuff and immediately recognizable unlike you imagine like james bond but it's like no no pretty good because they can just go places and do things and everyone's like oh it's just this guy while a spy <laughs> but it sounds as if all he really wanted was a badge apparently elvis was mad for official badges and he was keen to add some kind of federal agent badge to his collection elvis got his brief meeting with president nixon at the white house an encounter which nixon himself reportedly found to be incredibly awkward but more importantly, he was also awarded his shiny new badge, which described Elvis as a special assistant to the Federal Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs. Of course, it was a meaningless title, which Nixon just made up to appease Elvis, who never actually worked for any Federal Bureau in his life. It was a dead good badge, though. But going back to the FBI angle, it's certainly true that the FBI did keep files on Elvis between 1956 and 1980, which referenced how the singer had been targeted by criminals during numerous attempts at extortion. Yeah, he's super famous. Of course, this is. Of course, there's going to be something going on around him. We know this because 760 of them were released to the public, and not one of them mentions any hint of Elvis working undercover to bring down a criminal organization or faking his own death for his own safety. So. Where was the author, Gail Brewer-Giorgio, getting her classified FBI documents from? Let me guess. Nobody knows. <laughs> Let me guess. Allegedly, maybe, in my opinion, she made it up. Well, we have no idea. We could just take our word for it that she knows what she's talking about. But she's come up with so much more blatant rubbish since then that you can't blame people for being a little bit skeptical. 
Gale later released the audio of a telephone conversation she supposedly had with the real Elvis Presley in 1988. Yes, the voice on the end sounds a little bit like Elvis, but it also sounds a bit like Nicolas Cage and potentially millions of other people. She also claimed, as recently as 2019, that she had dug up the official death certificate of Elvis Presley and was astonished to find that the signature at the bottom was from Elvis himself. What? This is insane, though. That, like, someone faking their own death, they're going to think about that. They're not going to be like, oh yeah, I'll just sign this myself after, you know, certifying my own death. That would be an insane thing to do. Conspiracy theory people, what's wrong with your brains? Gail had compared the signature on the death certificate with the signature at the bottom of the letter that Elvis had sent to Richard Nixon, moaning about drugged up hippies, and found they were practically identical. She even called in expert graphologist Paul West, who concluded, in my professional opinion, the same person who wrote the letter to President Nixon also wrote Elvis's death certificate. Isn't handwriting an analysis sort of a semi-pseudoscience? Is that even a real thing? <laughs> Why exactly a person attempting to fake his own death would choose to sign his own death certificate is beyond me. Me too, Danny. It's insane. But again, Gail forgets to mention how exactly she got a hold of the death certificate, which is still being kept under lock and key by the Tennessee Office of Vital Records. I can only assume that she sourced it the same way she sourced all of those thousands of classified FBI documents that nobody else in the world knows about. <laughs> yeah. I'll let you draw your own conclusion about that, dear audience. You know what mine and Danny's conclusion is. <laughs> It's interesting to note that before she got so obsessed with Elvis, Gail Brewer Giorgio wrote a 1978 novel called Orion, which told a fictional story of a massively popular singer from the South who faked his own death to hide away from the horrors of fame and get a bit of privacy. Oh my god, is Gail doing my actual, like, often on this show? It's almost, like, become... I feel insane bringing it up again. But it's like, yo, if you want if you want a fiction book to sell really well, just tell people that it's non-fiction. Boom! <laughs> you don't even have to write particularly well. She later claimed that a publisher inexplicably began to recall all copies of the novel, leading to the author suspecting that it bore much too much similarity to the genuine case of Elvis Presley's fake death, and this is where she seemed to lose the plot altogether. But for the record, there's no evidence that she ever uncovered any genuine official documentation, and there's nothing else to connect Elvis to any FBI plot to fake his own death to escape retribution from a criminal organization that he helped to stitch up good and proper. So, this leaves us without any clear or logical motive as to why Elvis would want to go to all the bother of setting up his own funeral unless he just quite fancied attending the service and grabbing some of the nibbles while he was still alive. Does Sally like those nibbles though? <laughs> greedy, greedy. What's the nibbles? Mini fried peanut butter sandwiches. But just because we can't currently comprehend a motive, that doesn't necessarily mean that he didn't do it. The king moves his hips in mysterious ways. And just like every other great conspiracy theory involving the cover-up of an earth-shattering secret, which must never be revealed at any cost, the perpetrator was certainly happy enough to leave behind fun clues. Double trouble. If we fast forward, to 1988, we might be able to hear an unusual song being played on the radio for the first time. Yeah, didn't they just... <laughs> there was the Beatles. Uh, um, they used, like, AI to repair some old tape or something from, like, some Beatles recording that they couldn't make until now. And I was like, ooh, a new Beatles song. <laughs> How timely. But I was like, yeah, let's give this new Beatles song a bit, a, a new listen. And, a, a listen. And I was like, oh, it's a bit rubbish. <laughs> It just what I don't know. I was just like, it's not very good. I didn't really like it. I don't know what the critics said about it, but I didn't like it. I listened to it once and I was like, and that is enough of that. 
Well, to be honest, you're unlikely to hear it on that many radio channels, and the song in question was a spectacular flop. But the track entitled Spelling on the Stone certainly seemed to raise a few questions, the most prominent of which was, was this the first new Elvis Presley song to be recorded and released after his faked death? We don't glean very much from the name of the artist because the single is released by LS Records and it was completely uncredited. The owner of the record label, Lee Stoller, reckons that the recording was delivered to his office by an anonymous man who sped off in his limousine after handing over the new tune. The voice certainly sounds a bit like Elvis, and he appears to be addressing his own death in the lyrics. Here's a taster. People wonder, people ask, am I present, am I past? I never left, I haven't gone. Check the spelling on the stone. Does that rhyme in American pronunciation? <laughs> Was my leaving due to sin? Did my faith somehow grow thin? My secret's out, so many know. Check the spelling on the stone. <laughs> when I read it like this, it sounds like, ooh, we're gonna solve a mystery for children. It's now widely believed, although not proven, that the mystery voice behind the track was just an impersonator by the name of Dan Willis and that the record was just a silly publicity stunt cashing in on recent Elvis sightings. Even if the vocalist wasn't Dan Willis, the professor of music theory John Davis later concluded that the voice did not belong to Elvis and was more a caricature of his performance. Aren't the people who sing, like, just as well? They, like, there's... It's a huge business, like, uh, what are they called? Like tribute bands or cover bands or whatever, where they just pretend to be another band and sing their songs. And some of them are absolutely incredible. I'm sure there's Elvis impersonators out there where people can't tell, even if you're like an expert, right? It's a publicity stunt which didn't go down well with everyone. A media coordinator for Graceland slammed the release as a very cruel hoax, whilst ex. Why is it cruel? That. <laughs> The only people this would be cruel to are his family, who are like sure he's dead, because they're his family. Whilst ex-wife Priscilla took the time to respond to the signal by making it clear that Elvis would never be cruel enough to stage his own death. But what exactly did the singer mean by check the spelling on the stone? Well, this harks back to one of the earliest theories to rise from the grave shortly after Elvis had been buried. His full name was Elvis Aaron Presley. Really? His name was actually Elvis Presley? I kind of felt, thought that that must be a stage name or something. Although maybe I just think it's a crazy name because he's Elvis Presley and if someone's called Elvis nowadays, then you're like, really? Elvis? The Elvis was taken from his father Vernon's middle name, while the Aaron, spelt with just one A, was possibly inspired by Vernon's good friend Aaron Kennedy, who spelt his first name with two A's. Yeah, like any everyone who's called Aaron. It's always with two A's, right? However, it was decided that Elvis would only have one A in his middle name, so it looks similar to the spelling of his identical twin's middle name, Jesse Garon Presley. More on him in just a second. Let me. <laughs> There's no identical twin Elvis. <laughs> the thing is that the spelling on the gravestone appears to be wrong, as it spells the middle name of Elvis with two A's rather than one. So what's that all about? Was the engraver offering a free extra digit, which was too good a deal to turn down, or was Elvis offering some kind of teaser that it wasn't really him buried beneath the gravestone? Is that true? Is it really? They made a misspelling on his grave. Surely it's Elvis Presley. They'd just be like, "We'll take it back and get a new one." He's got infinite money. <laughs> just burn that one, throw it in a quarry, and uh, just just make him a new one and spell it correctly. Probably neither. It seems that Elvis was never really keen on the original spelling, and in later life he had resorted to sticking an extra A in there himself to make to match the spelling of the biblical Aaron. Yeah, because otherwise you'd kind of be like Aaron or Aaron or Aaron rather than Aaron, Aaron. Elvis, how did I say it originally? Elvis Aaron Presley? Probably. I don't know. But look, okay, so he liked spelling it that way. That's why it's spelled that way on his gravestone. Boom, easy, done. Where is A.A. Ron right now? 
His father Vernon was aware of this, and it was he who ordered the gravestone to be engraved using the spelling that he knew his son preferred. It also has to be said that this would have been a pretty lame clue to leave behind. But this leads us to one of the most patently absurd, yet remarkably resilient Elvis conspiracy theories. Imagine for a moment that it wasn't really Elvis buried beneath the gravestone. Who else could be taking that place? Well, how about his identical twin brother Jesse? The official narrative is that Jesse Garon Presley was stillborn 35 minutes after the birth of Elvis, although the exact cause of the stillbirth is unknown. Really? The official narrative? Okay, so Elvis did have an identical twin who was stillborn. Whoa! However, Elvis truthers are of the firm opinion that Jesse did not really die at birth. His survival was kept a secret so that he could serve as a double for Elvis in later life. Um what <laughs> it's not like they knew that the baby was gonna be like super famous when he was born we can apparently see some evidence for this in a couple of elvis interviews which were filmed in the early 1970s whilst elvis was known for his piercing blue eyes these video clips appear to show a slightly different version of elvis sporting brown eyes could it be that only the real elvis had blue eyes while the eyes of his twin brother and body double double jesse were brown and this is how you can spot the difference between the two. No, it's just like, it's not, eyes seem to change color under different lights. Like, you know, if you Google like me or whatever, you get these like profiles like talking about me and often they'll be like height, weight, uh, eye color. And it, all of them seem to think that I have brown eyes. I definitely do not have brown eyes. I don't know where that came from. My eyes are definitely green. Elvis could potentially have been wearing contact lenses, but he wouldn't have had much of a reason to choose contact lenses that changed the distinctive color of his eyes. It's more likely down to the lighting and positioning of the camera, as blue or green eyes have been known to turn a different color when viewed under unusual lighting conditions or from funny angles. Indeed. Or a slightly less savory explanation is that Elvis was already popping too many pills by this point, resulting in a dilation of his pupils which reduced the levels of piercing blue that you'd normally expect to see when facing the king oh my god he's so high that his pupils are dilated either way i'm pretty sure that we weren't looking into the eyes of jesse presley no jesse presley did not grow up jesse presley's not a real thing please stop it conspiracy theory people the biggest problem with the conspiracy theories related to jesse presley is they make absolutely no sense whatsoever yes they didn't know elvis was going to be famous and so they're not like better keep that one secret because that's elvis presley right there let's say for a moment that jesse was not stillborn and that he went on to serve as his brother's secret body double if it was really jesse and not elvis that died and was buried in 1977 why would the latter need to fake his own death when he could just carry on alone or if it was the other way around jesse was the main performer whilst elvis was the occasional stand-in who died in 1977 why couldn't jesse just carry on with the deception there seems to be no advantage under any possible scenario in faking the death of the wrong twin yes it, it, more reasons why this is just absolutely absurd of course the silliest point of all is that elvis's parents could never have known at the time of elvis's birth that he would grow up to be the most famous and influential solo recording artist in history so the macabre idea of pretending that the other identical twin died just in case elvis ever required a body double in the future is obviously just completely bonkers unless they had a particularly good intuition about this sort of thing <laughs> it's like no yeah maybe like as someone grows up you could be like oh that guy's gonna you know <laughs> he's gonna be famous someday and, and you're probably wrong but you know you could get that vibe not from a baby <laughs> one weird side note about all of this regards a cenotaph for jesse presley which was placed on the grounds of graceland this is not the actual grave the presley family were extremely poor when jesse was stillborn and so he was buried in a shoebox beneath a small blank stone in priceville memorial gardens in tupelo oh that's sad i don't like that 
Some fans have questioned why Elvis didn't move Jesse's modest and largely forgotten grave to Graceland, but that is surely an intensely personal decision, and I can see why Elvis may have leaned toward the idea of letting Jesse rest in peace rather than trying to dig up his fragile shoebox for the sake of a flashier spot. 100%. Like, I would not do that. I'd be like, sure, let's build a memorial, but I'm not. Don't go digging up a baby's body. That's weird. Installing a new Cenotaph memorial in Graceland was clearly his preferred option. Good, I agree. Well done, Elvis. But for reasons that have never been explained, the Cenotaph managers dispelled Jesse's first name wrong, putting an extra I before the final E. It's possible that Elvis was simply not aware of the correct spelling, but it does seem a bit peculiar that both the Presley twins seem to have acquired extra digits in their names after their deaths. Mm, mm, yes, this is what we call a coincidence. Perhaps the idea is that you're supposed to keep collecting all the extra digits found on the gravestones and memorials of the Presley family until you have enough letters to form the name of the secret location in which Elvis has been hiding out all these years. But maybe the true location of Elvis isn't such a big secret after all. By the sound of it, he's been happily popping up all over the place to wave hello. Wild in the country. One of the earliest sightings, accompanied with actual photographic evidence of a post-death Elvis, took place just over four months after he supposedly died, but it took a few years for the photographer to realize what he'd unwittingly snapped. A guy called Mike Joseph visited Graceland with his family on December 31, 1977, and he seized the opportunity to take plenty of souvenir photographs, which included several shots of the Presley Pool House. It wasn't until several years later, when Mike was sifting through the old photographs again, that he happened to spot a slightly creepy and shadowy figure lurking inside the pool house and peering out of the window. He couldn't immediately make out what it was supposed to be, but he was intrigued enough to dig out a magnifying glass and take a closer look. Even before we get into this, it's ridiculous. So like Elvis Presley faked his own death and how long later when did he die? Wasn't it around 77 or something like that? Um, but he was just hiding out in the pool house? where they let tourists come by that's obviously stupid and not realistic and that's when he realized he was staring into the face of a clearly not dead elvis presley all those idiots who believed that elvis had packed his flight bags to start a new life in buenos aires have been wrong the whole time elvis had decided that he might as well just hang out at home after all nobody would think of ever looking for elvis in graceland yeah fine but still graceland is a tourist attraction there's lots of people going around with cameras it's a bad idea mike even had the photograph checked out by kodak experts who confirmed that the image had not been doctored in any way so it's got to be him right or it could just be a photograph of him inside the the thing or like a cardboard cutout or something no elvis's former road manager joe esposito stepped in to suggest that the face in question was more likely to belong to elvis's old security guard al strada who certainly bears a passing resemblance to the king and more importantly was known to be alive at the time not everyone is convinced by this explanation but mike joseph seemed to agree with it and it makes a refreshing change for a potential elvis spotted to get on board with a more rational explanation instead of blindly pursuing the more unfeasible angle that could make them famous i like that mike's like whoa this is completely that's how i would do it i'd see i'd look at that photo i'd be like holy shit, is that a picture of elvis is that elvis in there and they'll go to kodak and they'll be like it's not doctored and then a rational explanation comes around and i'll be like oh okay that makes sense thanks done mystery solved <laughs> If Elvis really had wanted to settle down into a new secret life, I reckon he would have at least made the effort to move out of his mansion so that Graceland could be transformed into a money-spinning entertainment complex while he kept his head down elsewhere. Is Graceland still a thing? Can you still go to Graceland and see all of this stuff? It's kind of like, it's been a long time, but people still love Elvis.
A city that often pops up as a credible location for a post-death Elvis is Kalamazoo in the southwest region of Michigan, where there have been multiple Elvis sightings since 1988. In fact, it's often been suggested that it's an open secret among the residents of Kalamazoo who largely protect him from the media and just give him a cheeky wink whenever they happen to wander past him. Um, no, 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 no. If that many people are in on it, it's only a matter of time before it comes out. Like, the more people who know a secret, the more likely it is that that secret's gonna be revealed that it, it just approaches like one after so many years go by. It's like, come on. However, Louise Welling from Vicksburg, Mississippi, didn't appear to know the secret code when she spotted Elvis during a visit to Kalamazoo and immediately went blabbing to the local newspaper, The Commercial Express. And here's the funny thing, though. The Commercial Express wasn't remotely interested in publishing her story. <laughs> yes, because they're like, oh, for God's sake, no, 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 no. We published news, not made-up stuff that you thought you saw, Louise. Do me a favor, please. Get out of here. So Louise went running to the Kalamazoo Gazette instead, and they weren't interested either. It was only when Louise tried her luck at Weekly World News based in Lantana, Florida, that she finally found a paper willing to publish her story, a paper that clearly wasn't bound by the same secret pledges to protect Elvis, which the local newspapers were honoring, or, uh, <coughs> journalistic integrity. <coughs> Louise. <laughs> Sorry, the Weekly World News. She had to travel to a different state to find something, someone who would publish her story. And what, Louise, you've got too much time on your hands. Louise claimed that she had spotted Elvis doing a bit of shopping at the Fell Porsche supermarket. He was waiting patiently in line at a checkout whilst clutching a single electrical fuse, and he was wearing his signature white jumpsuit because, of course, he was. Maybe he hadn't had an opportunity to buy any new clothes over the last 10 years, so he was still in those damn white jumpsuits. Well, a couple of things. One, if he's trying to be all DL on the down low, he's not going to be wearing a white jumpsuit. Because if I wore a white jumpsuit, I would stand out. And he's Elvis. Like, it's not how he'd dress. He'd wear, like, a cap and sunglasses. Also, he's not going to be shopping for fuses. Like, there's a point you get to where it's like, like, even me. I'm not Elvis Presley anywhere close. But it's like, I don't fix my own electrical anymore. There's a guy I have. And it's like, I phone him, and he goes to the store, and he buys the and then he comes to my house, and he fixes it. That's what... <laughs> Elvis is not changing his own fuses! Louise noted that he was looking a bit nervous, as if he had something to hide, although this could have just been because he'd stuffed 50 other electrical fuses down his jumpsuit and he only had enough money to pay for one. Elvis was spotted again very shortly afterwards in a branch of Burger King, around 10 miles away, cheerfully tucking into a nice, wholesome whopper. The writer and economist David Adler reckoned in 1995 that this sighting was particularly noteworthy. According to him, what gives this account eerie credibility is that Burger King was by far Elvis's favorite fast food chain. There is one that's not credibility, by the way. It's just, oh, okay, <laughs> chill, chill, chill. People go to Burger King. Burger King crushes it on the fries. Like, I would rather, I think generally I'd rather have McDonald's burgers. Like, I'm quite partial to a Big Mac, but I would take that Big Mac and then I'd have Burger King fries. In fact, I should do that sometimes. Sometime. Because I live right next to a, uh, a Burger King and a McDonald's. Oh, I used to. I just moved. So I don't live close to them anymore. But they were right next to each other, like side by side. There was a Starbucks in the middle. <laughs> yes, I think we'll all agree that that's pretty much case closed. The only sighting that could possibly sound even more authentic is if somebody ever spotted a man wearing a white jumpsuit tucking into a fool's gold loaf at Colorado Mining Company whilst a private jet hovered outside the front entrance. David Adler was possibly just using this sighting as a tool to promote his new book. Oh, what? What's that? What's that? A money-spinning book enters the picture? How surprising! 
Uh, the book The Life and Cuisine of Elvis Presley, a biography of Elvis, told through the food he enjoyed. Be sure to pop that one on your Christmas list. And it's also worth pointing out that this Burger King sighting was reportedly by none other than the daughter of Louise Welling. The Welling family have too much time on their hands, it turns out. Still, a few shrewd local business owners have been happy to take advantage of the various Elvis sightings in Kalamazoo over subsequent years. I can't believe the, there's an actual place called Kalamazoo. It sounds like a made-up town in a Disney movie. With one local dentist now boasting signs that says, The King gets regular checkups here. I can't help feeling that if Elvis was really lying low in Kalamazoo, he probably wouldn't have put his signature white jumpsuit on before popping downtown to buy an electrical fuse and a whopper. Yeah, no sh**, Danny. <laughs> It's ridiculous. Maybe Louise Welling really did just spot somebody who looked a bit like Elvis in a white jumpsuit, but it might well have been an Elvis impersonator who just finished a quick set down at the old goat tavern and hadn't had time to change yet. That's almost certainly it. I think it's uh, Elvis impersonator because someone who looks like Elvis isn't going to wear a white jumpsuit because they'll be like, oh my god. Because also it's cringe. Like, if you look a bit like Elvis and you're not an impersonator and then you dress like Elvis, that's just cringe. It's just cringe. You wouldn't do that. There are literally hundreds of thousands of Elvis impersonators now going about their business, and you're bound to occasionally catch one out in the wild. Are there really hundreds of thousands of Elvis impersonators? Is that a real number? Because that feels like a lot. And they're quite easy to spot because the vast majority of them don't even bother to try and emulate the young, sharply dressed, hip gyrating Elvis of the 50s. It's much easier to emulate the overweight Elvis of the late 70s who could just about squeeze into a jumpsuit without keeling over if somebody helped him with the zip. Yeah, someone's like, which Elvis do you want to impersonate? The one where you've got to go to the gym all the time? Or the one where you could just get fat? I'd be like, I want to be fat Elvis! Shotgun fat Elvis! I'm not sure if it's the most respectful tribute you can pay to your hero, though, ignoring the glory days to focus instead on the period when he was well past his prime. But it is the easier one. It's a bit like John Lennon impersonator choosing to go on stage dressed in a white shirt riddled with bullet holes and bloodstains. Holy sh**, Danny. You went there. Too soon, Danny. Too soon. Perhaps Elvis really is living a quiet life in Kalamazoo where he enjoys protection from the residents and the local press, but I still think he'd pay somebody else to fetch the electrical fuse and the whopper. Yes, exactly. He's Elvis Presley. Green, green grass of home. The next time that Elvis was spotted out and about in public in 1990, he was waiting in line in an airport queue. But the surprising point here is that he, this wasn't a genuine airport queue. It was a scene in the smash hit movie Home Alone. Because if you just spent the last 13 years successfully fooling most of the world into believing you're dead, the next logical step is to pop up as an extra in the highest grossing global box office hit of 1990. What? Home Alone was the highest grossing movie of the year. I thought Home Alone is one of those movies that kind of rakes it in over the long term because it's like still popular as a Christmas movie, like those Christmas movies are. But okay, how it beat Kindergarten Cop, I'll never know. Yeah, Kindergarten Cop was awesome. <laughs> Take it back! The scene in question is the one where young Kevin's mother, played by Catherine O'Hara, is holding up an airport queue as she hysterically attempts to haggle with the ticket agent to get a seat on the next flight home to her accidentally but unforgivably abandoned son. Yeah, forgetting your children, it's like, what's her face? Kevin's mum. Social services would definitely be paying you a visit. If you take a look over Catherine O'Hara's left shoulder, you can briefly make out a bearded man in the background who looks a bit like a slightly older and hairier Elvis. Some would say he's got the same hairline, complexion, and even some of the facial mannerisms of the king, although I would say it's difficult to make too many insightful observations from the few seconds that his face is fully visible on screen. 
Still, one Elvis truther certainly had a go when he noted in a YouTube comment, ah yes, the YouTube comments, the bastion of truth, that the extra adopted a curious expression when Catherine O'Hara starts shouting that she would happily sell her soul to the devil to get home. He wrote, Elvis drops his head and appears to be pondering about his own life after hearing the mother explain her situation. Oh my god, people, this is... I can't... Surely that's got to be in jest, because this can't... It, it, it can't be people seriously thinking this, can it? Please, no. Yes, or maybe you're looking at this a bit too deeply. All I can see is a man with a beard who's been instructed to look a bit impatient. One interesting point is that the previous movie, completed by Home Alone director Chris Columbus, was the 1988 comedy flop Heartbreak Hotel, in which a bunch of kids attempt to kidnap Elvis Presley. The film may have been a box office disaster, but perhaps the real Elvis enjoyed it so much that he applied to be an extra in the next Chris Columbus movie. Not so, says Chris Columbus. He reckons if Elvis was on the set, I would have known. Yeah, no also, is this guy's name really Chris Columbus? <laughs> Whose surname is Columbus? And you're like, yeah, yeah, no, I'll call my kid Christopher. What the f- Really? Despite the fact that it would- <laughs> that it would clearly be absurd for a man in hiding to take a role as a movie extra, some Elvis fans were really convinced about this one, and it didn't help matters that nobody could identify the man with the beard, as extras didn't receive any kind of credit. Yeah, it's disappointing. I was an extra, I've told this story before, in Captain America. The- Captain America? Yeah, 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 Captain America. I was an extra in that- in that movie. That was fun. In London. This was many, many, many years ago. I had to get my hair cut. And I was like, I had long hair. And they were like, shaving that off because you're a cop. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Shave it off. Free haircut. I'll take it. It was only within the last few years that sterling detective work from researcher and myth debunker Kenny Biddle finally confirmed the man's identity as the late Gary Grott, who had also appeared as an extra in a number of other Chris Columbus movies. Some of us truthers still weren't buying it, though. Gary's own wife left a comment on a debunking video to politely announce, yes, sorry guys, this is my deceased husband, Gary. I didn't want to ruin your hope. This provoked one angry fan into responding with, You are wrong, so stop spreading this stupid propaganda. You're a disgusting excuse for a person. Holy sh**. She was trying to be nice. She's like, I just didn't want to burst the bubble. And this guy's like, F*** you and your dead husband, you pieces of sh**. Chill. I'm beginning to think that some people are taking this way too seriously. You're the devil in disguise. There was another brief flurry of excitement following an Elvis sighting at the opening of California's Legoland Amusement Park in 1999, although this quickly died down again when Legoland confirmed that they'd hired an Elvis impersonator to mingle with the crowds as an attraction. Wait, Legoland opens in 1999? Oh, wait, did we have Legoland? Because I went to Legoland when I was like a kid, like really young. And I just assumed that America had Legoland first. But did we have Legoland first? Before America? Holy sh**. It's like when Disneyland Paris opened up, it's like, whoa, you can go to Disney and not have to go to America. Oh, wait, is Lego American? Wait, is Le isn't Lego Scandinavian or something? No one's here for this. No one cares. I'm sorry. Legoland tangent over. They were probably in on the secret. Somebody should have checked his pockets for electrical fuses and whoppers. Then it has to be said that things largely fell quiet for a long time until internet rumors began to brew and bubble and mushroom in popularity over the years, as Elvis truthers were now able to form online communities in which they could share and affirm each other's increasingly kooky theories. One of the biggest internet theories only really began to take a fully-fledged shape in around 2010, when fans began speculating if Elvis had taken on a new identity, a singing pastor, Bob Joyce, from Arkansas. 
Videos were posted online, which showed singing Bob Joyce strutting his funky stuff in front of his flock, and comparisons were made to the voice and facial features of our father who art in heaven, Elvis Presley. Bob is certainly giving off a few vibes that suggest an older Elvis with white hair and white beard, and his voice seems to be channeling the best work of the king. I'm pretty sure he was at least heavily inspired by Elvis, even if I'm not entirely convinced that he bears that closer resemblance to the man himself. YouTuber Sparguy decided to take matters into his own hands in 2010 when he tracked down Bob Joyce to ask him in person if the rumors were true. And predictably enough, Bob Joyce denied that he was Elvis Presley, just as Peter the Apostle had denied all knowledge of Jesus Christ three times before the rooster crowed on the morning of the Last Supper. Bob Joyce pondered, perhaps God is using Elvis's voice to minister to broken hearts and broken lives. If Elvis were alive, I would say to him, my friend and brother, oh, we are kindred spirits. We are one in Christ. <laughs> all right, Bob. Chill out, Bob. Take it easy. <laughs> It's also worth noting that Bob has darker eyes and a gap in his front teeth, which Elvis clearly didn't unless he had a bit of work carried out down at that dentist clinic in Kalamazoo. Yeah, but like, go there. Yeah, yeah, no, put the gaps back in. Put the gaps in my teeth. I want the gaps. Bob seemed more worried and indeed slightly miffed about just how old people imagined him to be. If Elvis had been alive in 2020, he would have been 85, whereas young whippersnapper Bob was a mere 68. He seemed very keen to let everybody know that. I think we should help him spread the good word. Just be aware that you might be accused of spreading stupid propaganda. What did that commenter say? What did she say? <laughs> I want it again. You, you, you don't want to be a disgusting excuse of a person. Moving back to 2015, a fascinating story from the website Empire News generated a flurry of fresh interest from the Elvis Lives movement when the site reported a major exclusive scoop. The body of a homeless man found a few weeks earlier was now definitely confirmed to be that of Elvis Presley. Oh, this feels like Empire News feels like, you know, those when you're on a website and it's got those... Um, Tombo, uh, not Tombo. <laughs> What's it called? The company that always has those Tabula, where it's got those like fake headlines, or they always look fake, and they're just designed to be ultra clickable. This feels like that. All these years, the former king hadn't been hiding away in Graceland or living the high life in Buenos Aires or Kalamazoo. It fallen on hard times and taken to the mean streets of San Diego, California. The body of the 80-year-old man had been found in an underpass, but it had taken a while for authorities to identify him. All they had to go on was that some of the locals had known the man by the first name of Jesse. The man's DNA was eventually put through a national DNA database and took the lab technician somewhat by surprise. The guy's DNA was a perfect match to that of Elvis Presley. This is just fake news. Surely, this is just fake news. The story quickly gained traction on social media, with many truthers pondering that this was El either Elvis himself or supposedly his stillborn identical twin brother Jesse, who had found it difficult to find work after his brother had passed on. They should have spent a bit more time checking the reliability of the source, though. Yeah, no f Admittedly, this story is a little strange to decipher as it's not particularly funny or satirical, but it was originally posted by Empire News, who regularly post completely fictional stories for shits and giggles, or at least for entertainment purposes only. This is just this clicking bull. It's like, yeah, you click on it, and then it turns out the story's fake, but they still got the click and got you to look at some ads, so they still get paid. It's the internet, everybody. It's weird. Some of their other popular headlines over the years, oh, these are going to be good, have included College student excused from classes after dog eats grandmother. Woman gets pregnant after sleeping in hotel with dirty sheets. Man who bought a pair of dentures on Wish website can suddenly speak Chinese. And Pope Francis accidentally holds up copy of vintage porn mag instead of Bible during sermon. So... I think we can safely disregard this one, but don't lose hope. There are still there are still a couple of more fairly recent sightings to go on before we give up the ghost completely. Baby, let's play house. 
In 2016, a groundskeeper working at Graceland was captured on a short video which rapidly racked up well over 2 million views on YouTube. The white-haired guy, in a bright orange t-shirt and baseball cap, doesn't appear to be doing anything that interesting for the most part. He just seems to be trying to figure out what to do with a hose pipe. <laughs> it's not much of a good groundskeeper if he's like, what's this thing? <laughs> That's a hose pipe, Bob! But he has got a little look of an aged Elvis about him, and some fans have latched onto how he appears to flick a V sign towards the camera, a move which is interpreted as a signal to his fans that it's really him. If somebody stuck two fingers up in my direction, I'd be less inclined to take it as a vague sign and more as a direct cue to piss off out of this guy's face. I mean, was he doing it this way, like palm forward, because that means peace, or was he doing it this way, palm towards you, which do you do Americans have this? It's kind of like middle finger, but it's less bad. I don't know where it comes from, but this is like offensive in the UK. Let me know, Americans. Do you have this? I don't I don't know. I've never seen it in movies. Having said that, I don't think this new groundskeeper version of Elvis is actually trying to be rude to anyone. He just happens to be casually scratching the side of his face with two fingers. If Elvis could afford to employ someone to play racquetball with him when he was alive, I feel confident that he could stretch to hiring a groundskeeper when he was dead, rather than getting his own cold hands dirty. It's all academic anyway, as an Elvis fan later managed to hunt down the man in the video for a brief video interview in which he revealed that the guy was a Graceland employee by the name of Bill Barmer. Did I call him Bill? No, I called him Bob. About the hosepipe. What did I call him? It would be good if I actually got the name right. I don't think I did, though. That's the hosepipe, Bob! Bill had a bit of fun during the interview, slyly brushing two fingers up and down the side of his face as he spoke to give the truthers another clue to get all worked up about. But much like the singing Pastor Bob Joyce, he also seemed a bit miffed about the age thing. Whilst he didn't disclose his actual age, he wanted to make it abundantly clear that he certainly wasn't in his bloody 80s, thank you very much. Still, it seems that far more people are interested in hearing the conspiracy theory than the definitive debunking. Whilst that original video of the groundskeeper quickly sailed past 2 million views, the interview with Bob Joyce has stalled at 378,000, probably because it's been identified as bull propaganda perpetrated by the corrupt media. <laughs> it's like big media. <laughs> Trying to con us. <laughs> but the final major sighting of Elvis has yet to be conclusively disproved, which obviously means that it must be true. We've already speculated that Elvis may have faked his own death just to get a front seat at his own funeral. And he sounds like the kind of guy who wouldn't want to miss his own 82nd birthday party either, even if he's supposed to have been dead for 40 years. After all, there might be birthday cake or fried peanut butter sandwiches. And so it was that when an 82nd memorial birthday party was held at Graceland in 2017, it inevitably generated another viral video, this time from a live stream, showing a white-bearded man in his 80s wearing shades and lurking in the crowd during a cake-cutting ceremony on the lawn apparently flanked by army sec armed security guards. The clip ignited particular interest on the Elvis Presley is Alive Facebook group, a group that once boasted over 24,000 members and politely asked of new members, please don't come on this page and say that Elvis is dead. Yeah, why would you want open debate? <laughs> The Facebook group seems to have mysteriously disappeared now. Oh, big media shut it down. But before it was no doubt shut down by the FBI on the grounds that the members were getting too close to the truth, it was a hive of activity when compelling new evidence like this emerged from the shadows. I mean, why on earth would a supposedly random unknown man in his 80s need quite so much security? Well, it could be argued that the security guards just happened to be in the same vicinity as this man, and there's no evidence to suggest that they were on his payroll or were remotely interested in what he was doing. It could also be argued that the guy doesn't really look like Elvis at all. But as the identity of this gentleman is yet to be confirmed, quite a tricky task considering the vast number of attendees in the memorial birthday event, the truthers are sticking to their guns on this one for now. 
mostly. Some have veered off into a whole new theory that whilst the chap doesn't exactly resemble Elvis, this might be because he's actually singing Pastor Bob Joyce, who is, of course, Elvis anyway. Why? Well, to just stop making it extra complicated, it makes it less believable. But one member of the Facebook group shrewdly, shrewdly observed, Notice his ponytail? Pastor Bob Joyce does not have a ponytail. Therefore, this must be Jesse Presley. <laughs> Indisputable logic. Oh, hang on a minute. I think I'm starting to come up with my own mad theories now. We already know that one of the reasons why singing Pastor Bob Joyce can't be Elvis is because Bob has darker eyes, but Elvis also had darker eyes when he was being played by his twin, dead twin brother Jesse. So it's a no-brainer when you think about it. Singing Pastor Bob Joyce isn't Elvis at all, he's Jesse Presley. And he turns up to the memorial event to quietly celebrate his own birthday whilst paying respects to his twin brother. He may also have hoped to have a word with someone about getting the name corrected on his own cenotaph. It's all beginning to make sense in my mind now. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Incredibly twisted logic. Or maybe I've just been thinking about this for too long. But some people have been thinking about this kind of thing for well over four decades now, and considering that most of the evidence pointing to Elvis faking his own death is either utterly ridiculous or can be conclusively disproved, it does make you wonder how the Elvis Live movement ever managed to grow quite so big in the first place, and how it managed to endure for so long. Or did it? A little less conversation. Of course, Elvis Presley is not the only high-profile figure in history to have been accused of faking his own death. It's not out of the question that some major celebrity really did manage to fool the whole world into believing they were dead, but the problem is that if they were truly successful, then we wouldn't know about it. Or at least most of us wouldn't know about it. Keep this under your hat for now, but my local pub quiz team is made up of Kurt Cobain, Michael Jackson, Tupac Shakur, and Bruce Lee. And just for the record, Kurt Cobain is completely bloody useless at sports questions. But Elvis isn't quite like any other celebrity. It's exceedingly rare to witness the levels of love and devotion which have been heaped upon Elvis Presley by adoring fans. Yes, other artists and stars can hit massive mainstream levels of popularity, but it's not very often you see that kind of unadulterated worship that Elvis managed to attract in both his lifetime and after his death. The only other people I can think of anywhere are remotely close to this are Morrissey, Simon Whistler, and the Bay City Rollers. You're goddamn right, Danny. <laughs> and perhaps this goes some way to explaining why so many fans fell into immediate denial and went searching for alternative facts. They just couldn't believe or accept it. It's just not the fact that their cherished hero had died so suddenly and unexpectedly at the age of 42. It was the ungraceful manner in which he died. The king of rock and roll couldn't have just fallen from a toilet to his death. It wasn't supposed to end like that. It's kind of weird that 42, I'm 36. That's only six years away and I'll be 42. I'll be as old as Elvis was when he died. <laughs> 42. It's like, I can, I, I have like memories of my parents turning 40. And it's like, that fit, it's only four years away. <laughs> oh no, I feel old. I've often thought that the inelegant death alone is one of the reasons why a faked death just seems so fundamentally improbable. If you were one of the most admired people in the world, and you were planning to fake your own death, how'd you go about writing your official final scene? You could go for a butch and sporty and glamorous death, like maybe a jet ski accident or something. I think I would have gone down in a fictional blaze of glory, perhaps perishing in a fire after suddenly rescuing ten dogs, three kittens, and a budgie from a burning 180-story skyscraper, but not quite managing to save my own skin. Yeah, that sounds a pretty good way to go. Except for the whole burning to death thing. But I can't quite imagine Elvis Presley thinking, No, I'd rather be found face down in front of the toilet with my pyjama bottoms around my ankles. Yeah, it's like no one wants to go like that. <laughs> there are stacks 
of other fundamental reasons why a faked death would be highly unlikely. Such a huge conspiracy would have required at least hundreds of people to keep their mouths shut for the next 45 years. And I suppose you'd also have to be an absolutely massive bellend to put your millions of fans through all this heartache whilst leaving your family to pick up the pieces and deal with endless interrogations from the media. If you were really trying to cling to the idea that your hero faked his own death, you'd also have to concede that it was a pretty dickish move and unheroic all round. The fans in early denial found plenty to feed their initial suspicions in the immediate aftermath of the death, along with the admittedly unconvincing and confusing medical statements and all the stuff about waxwork dummies in air-conditioned coffins. There were also reports about a black helicopter circling Graceland just before the body was taken to hospital, and the sighting of a lookalike catching a flight from Memphis to Buenos Aires the following day under the name of a known alias. The problem with both these stories is that nobody knows the sources. Some anonymous guy who was never heard of again claims he spotted the helicopter, whilst another anonymous guy who was never heard of again reckons he spotted Elvis at Memphis International Airport. There's not a single scrap of evidence to suggest that a black helicopter was anywhere near Graceland on the day that Elvis died. And the lookalike who was trying to catch a flight from Memphis to Buenos Aires would have been in for a very long wait. Back in 1977, you couldn't even book an international flight directly from Memphis. But it didn't take long for those initial waves of stories to fizzle out. One of the oddest things about the whole Elvis lives theory is that it hasn't really burned consistently over the last 45 years. It's more kind of a thing which dips in and out of trend. The theory had pretty much fallen silent for much of the 1980s. I mean, I'm sure there was always somebody talking about it somewhere, but it was no longer a topic which generated any mainstream attention. Perhaps now that everyone has been given time to come to terms with the shock news. <laughs> a lot of time like 40 bloody years there was a gradual and reluctant acceptance that elvis really had left the building but then it all suddenly sprang back to life in around 1988 when louise welling claimed that she'd spotted elvis buying an electrical fuse in kalamazoo this in turn sparked further supposed sightings which in turn inspired fresh media attention which in turn inspired the hoax spelling on the stone single which in turn inspired some conspiracy theorists to delve back into history and get all worked up again about gravestones and identical twin brothers it's all your fault louise <laughs> This in turn inspired failed novelist Gail Brewer Giorgio to jump on the bandwagon and write a book of completely groundless claims that the FBI helped Elvis fake his own death, which in turn whipped everybody up into an even bigger frenzy. Quite remarkably, this all pretty much happened in the very same year. And this newly revived Elvis Lives mania continued to thrive into the first half of the 1990s, by which time the usual sightings of Elvis working as a policeman or in a California grocery store were now jostling for attention alongside wackier news reports of Elvis secretly preparing to run as president, Elvis living in a bunker underneath Graceland, and the discovery of an Elvis statue on the moon. Oh, please tell me that last one is made up, Danny. Perhaps it was the increasingly bizarre and unbelievable nature of these stories which led the Elvis Lives movement to get crushed under its own vast weight, as we entered another extended quiet patch which lasted the best part of two decades. It's only relatively recently that the Elvis Lives theory has come back into vogue again, as a new generation of truthers made use of their handy camera phone to snap pictures and take videos of old men which can be shared online and discussed with like-minded non-sheeple. They don't seem particularly fussy anymore about finding anyone with a genuine resemblance to Elvis, as long as it's a man who looks like he's over 40, has white hair, maybe a white beard, and I don't know, maybe a face, then he's a prime candidate to be Elvis Presley. We're probably due for another period of downtime fairly soon, after the ridiculousness of it all implodes once again. 
But the good news, of course, is that the Elvis Lives movement can't realistically keep dropping in and out of fashion forever. Yes, there may continue to be speculation about whether or not he died in 1977, but the question over whether or not he's still alive today can surely only have a mortally limited amount of time left to run before the answer becomes painfully obvious to even the most ardently devoted deluded fan. But then again, if anyone on Earth was destined to live to be at least 750 years old, then it would surely be Elvis Presley. Long live the king. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um no 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 but i do believe that like people would continue to believe this forever they'd be like no 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 elvis presley lives but it'd be like people would be like he'd be 136 they'd be like yeah, yeah he found some special serum <laughs> the world elite's been hiding from us this has been an episode of decoding the unknown thank you so much for being here if you like the show rate and review on apple Podcasts or spotify wherever you get it if you're watching on youtube why not like and subscribe and i'll see you next time Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.